this morning as we continue with our theme and, and looking to the, to the greater story of, of the Christmas narrative, and we see the gospel present at each and every step, but Christmas and the gospels, and we're going to look at a, a selection out of Luke 2, which is a very famous Christmas passage. You know, the, the, the part of the, of the thing with coming to church this time of year is hearing familiar stories. Uh, and, and I asked last week if you could tell somebody if you could teach this story without your Bible in hand, if you could recall all the facts and all the details, what that would look like and how you might do that. And so I just challenge you to continue to, to think on incorporating this bit of truth into your life in such a way that you know it well enough that you could tell it to somebody else. I don't know many people that feel comfortable with that. Uh, any part of the scripture, they'll say to themselves, well, let me get my Bible. And that's great. I want you to have your Bible handy. But wouldn't it be something if you could tell the story just from memory? And you could talk about it so much so that you would know when you saw something that was inaccurate or when you heard something, you say, well, that's not quite right. Anybody ever been in the picture of a story where they're, they're, they're sitting there amongst friends and somebody starts to tell a story about them and you're like, wait, that's not how that happened? And I have found that this is true oftentimes that, that we remember things sometimes a little different. You know the story where I caught the fish and then you tell a little later, I caught the fish until a little later, and like, I caught the fish, and everybody's like, that's not how that happened. I was there. It was barely bigger than the bait, you know? Well, let's not get into that. When we talk about the scriptures, we should know it. We should try to know it as well as, as, as anyone could know it and be able to tell it. So let's look at a familiar verse or set of verses. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse number 15, we'll read through verse number 20. If you would stand in honor of God's word. Luke chapter 2, verse number 15 says this. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which they was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that as we look to the scriptures, we're reminded of the, the physical, tangible action of these, these souls that decided upon the hearing of this truth to go and seek it out themselves. I pray that it would be true in our lives that we would seek you for our own, for our own personal knowledge. We would seek you for the desire of knowing these truths, not just to trust that they have been told, but that we would know them ourselves. I pray for this personal knowledge, Lord, that it would be real and it would be true. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you look to the, to the world around us, oftentimes things will happen. I don't know about you, but um, growing up and, and living middle school and high school years in this part of, of the world, just to, on the east side of Tulsa and, and all that, I, I was not aware that, that it was optional to, for people to have different sports teams that they liked. I mean, I followed the St. Louis Cardinals and I followed the Dallas Cowboys and those were the two teams and that's what was on TV and that's what you're supposed to do, amen? 
some of you are like, what? Merrill has been working on me for a number of months to, to, to look at Kansas City Chiefs. And I know they've had wild success, but Merrill, I'm sorry. Dallas is America's team. <laughs> well, I say this to tell you this story, that, that when you look to the scriptures, sometimes we take for granted what we've heard. And we don't establish a thing for ourselves. We don't understand it. And the shepherds, there's this brilliant scene that we're told every Christmas in Luke 2. Angels are heralding the truth of who Jesus is and where he's at. But these guys decided to go and look for themselves. And the challenge today that will be laid out for you, and I hope that you'll embrace it, is, is that if you have been basing this on what other people have told you to believe all your life, then you are missing out on an opportunity to know the Jesus of Scripture in a personal way. And I pray this morning, and I look to the Scriptures that, with you, that as we study them together, that you will do this for yourself and no, no one else. I don't know about you, but you know, in my house there were certain brands that were the only brands. You know, they tell us that, our parents will tell us that we're picky eaters. And then you look at your parents and say, well, you have all the power at the grocery store to buy the foods you like. And you know, say, well, when I get out and I begin to buy the foods that I like, then I look at my kids and I say to, say to my kids, you guys are picky eaters. And then I just realize, no, I'm not, a, I'm not any less or any more picky than them. I just buy the food. So I get to choose, right? And this is kind of this picture of faith that happens in our lives where we go, to the, we go to the marketplace of life and we pick the things that we believe. And we bring them close to us. And then when people around us don't necessarily understand or, don't, or aren't certain of it, they'll say, and we'll say, well, you're just being picky. They'll say, no, I need to find out for myself. I'll never forget the first time I walked into a Walmart. I was in college and there was no parent with me, no adult, and I had a, I had a little bit of money. And I was like, I can buy whatever I want. But the $20 or so that I had, the college students are poor, I know that. But, you know, there was this thing where I was like, well, who's going to tell me what socks to pick? Who's going to tell me what snacks to take back to the dorm with me? And then I was like, I get to tell me. And then I was like, I don't even know if I like any of this stuff because the limited number of things that were in our house, that made up like 1% of the grocery store. I don't know about you, but when you read this Bible, it's like walking into a fully stocked marketplace that has so much truth in it. And oftentimes we have missed details and pictures because we have focused on just pieces of it instead of the whole thing. So let's look together. Verse number 15, it says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into, the he into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Point number one, if you're going to take notes this morning, is looking for Jesus is the first step. I realized that as I prepared the notes that there might be a typo on the screen, so if there is, forgive me. Sometimes we're racing to do things. I don't know if it's there or not. I won't, I won't be able to tell unless I look at it. But the picture here is, is that we need to realize that the shepherds heard, and then they decided for themselves that they wanted to go. They wanted to see it for themselves. And, and oftentimes, we hear the Christmas songs, and we hear the Christmas narrative, and we, we watch the programs that we've seen, and we take for granted. But we ourselves haven't made the journey into the Bible. We ourselves haven't made the journey in our prayer life. We ourselves haven't made the journey ourselves to see this Jesus. I remember the very first time that I struggled with a, a, a full understanding of Jesus as Lord of my life, you know, and I, I, I just distinctly remember that there was a dramatic difference between having Jesus as a Savior 
and having Jesus as Lord. And I remember when Jesus began to lean in to talk to me when I'm wrestling with all this, the, the, the still calm voice in my life was, you've done it your way long enough, let's try my way. And I remember at that point I was so terrified that I bolted. I mean, I, I, I just basically checked out of camp for the rest of the time and I was nervous about what was happening. And I thought to myself, okay, so if this thing is happening is real, then I need to know more. And I went home and I just began to read the Bible. For the first time I began to read it, I would go to work and I would tell my coworkers, I'd say, man, I just finished a good book. And they'd say, what did I say? The Gospel of Matthew. And they'd say, well, isn't that part of the Bible? I'd say, yeah, man, it's a book of the Bible. And then I would read a little more and I would read it. And I was like, man, you know, when you start reading it for yourself, you learn all these kind of cool things, right? Like, did you know that when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there's a lot of repetition? And I was just naive enough in my Bible study that I was like, wait, didn't that already happen? And see, I, I, I had been going to church enough in my life, but never really fully understood that these stories overlapped. I wonder if there's anybody here that ever does that when they read the Bible where they're like, I don't understand. It seems like that's repetitive. And as you begin to study, you begin to realize there's, a, there's an understanding of how it's all pieced together and how it works, and you begin to see it. And, you know, I had to explore it myself to see this. I had to go where Jesus was to see it. And all of a sudden, as I began to read it, it began to unfold the magnitude of this story. And I began to really sense the deep burden to do this thing, to know him, not just as someone who saved me. I, I share this statistic frequently. You've heard me say it lots and lots. The Bible uses the word Savior to describe Jesus 35 times. 35. That's significant. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus can save you. I feel like some of you did that. Right, right here and here, I got some hot spots. The Bible, the New Testament, describes Jesus, God of the Holy Spirit, as Lord between six and seven hundred times. I didn't understand Jesus' lordship. I understood his, his salvation. And when I began to wrestle that truth out and began to look at how God is in charge, how Jesus is in charge, how the Holy Spirit is in charge, I began to realize that it wasn't just about rescuing me. It was about leading me. And I began to see this and, and, and going into this journey like the shepherds began to see this story. Let us now go to Bethlehem. That is, the, that is not the expression I used, but that is exactly what I did. Let us now go and see this, this thing that the Lord has described, that he has made known to us. And we began to realize the magnitude of this. Well, it goes on to say, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, This is such a simple expression, such a, a magnificent expression that they just, they just wandered into town and they found him. Now, I don't know about you, but I've done a little bit of study about the first century world, and there was no PSOAEP company, there was no OG&E illuminating the streets. There were no, I mean, there were, there were what, what light fixtures where people had in their windows and and potentially lanterns people had hung outside their homes, and you can imagine these shepherds wandering into a dark city and seeking and hoping to find him. And this is such a simple statement. They went in and they found him. I wonder how many doors they knocked on. I wonder how many, how many stables they visited. I wonder how many places they, they, they imagined it would be. And I wonder how, how hard you have looked 
I think some people dismiss the biblical Jesus because oftentimes their search is brief and it is not conclusive and it's dismissed because they haven't really looked very hard. And I, I suggest to you that when you begin to explore this truth, you'll begin to realize that persistence matters in this. I think that there's a measure and understanding that these shepherds, as they come into town and they begin to look for him, that they didn't just stop the first time that things got hard or difficult. Why didn't they? Well, they didn't because they didn't because of the nature of which he was heralded. I think you would be burdened to proceed if angels filled the night sky in a glorious light and told you a truth, you would be burdened to overcome your obstacles. And I think that oftentimes we are inoculated to the gospel because we have heard it so many times that we neglect the fact that there is a heralding of angels throughout the scripture that tell us a story. Do you know, when you think about this, and it's one of the coolest moments that you begin to realize this dawns on you, that there is not a moment throughout the New Testament where all of heaven is not keenly aware of where Jesus is and what he's doing. Here they tell you where, right where he's going to be. They point him out and they say, hey, by the way, the heavens is declaring it. By the way, the angels know. And now they're telling people on earth and they say, you should know too. It's a shame that oftentimes we reserve Jesus for the moments when we need him instead of the moments elsewise. Because the scripture is pointing right at him all of the time. He is the centermost figure in this whole story, isn't he? He is the centermost figure in this whole season, isn't he? And the one to come? He's the centermost figure in my life when I made him the Lord. Became less about me and more about him. I believe that if you're going to take notes, that number two would be finding Jesus requires following directions. I think that oftentimes people will look for Jesus in all the wrong places. They will look for him through friendships and they will look to him through, they'll even look to him through church programming. And I don't think there's anything wrong with church programming, but I will tell you that oftentimes what you will find when you find other people at churches, you'll find a bunch of flawed people that will mislead you about what Jesus is. Not because they mean to, but because they're not perfect. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're not perfect. Some of you are a little excited about that. This might affect your Christmas presents. Now I want you to look at your neighbor and say, neither am I. If you came here expecting to see the biblical Jesus in the lives of people, you'll be let down. They will disappoint you. They will discourage you. They will hurt you. And none of it necessarily intentionally. I've known a great many people that have been hurt in church in a way that they were expecting because what happens is we come here and we think we can take our armor off and then we forget that people here are flawed and imperfect as well and we're all looking for the same Jesus. And when we forget the instructions that are here, we can sometimes do harm to one another. We don't mean to hurt each other, but oftentimes we do. You know what's even worse is when you get into a church setting when people hurt people on purpose. I'll never forget a moment in my young pastorate, and I was, I was foolish and I was wrong for not dealing with it more directly, but a lady who had been becoming more and more excited about Jesus began to serve in certain capacities, and some of the people in the church weren't sure about her being in a position to lead a certain part of the ministry. And they began to say mean things about her, not thinking she was present. And she was just outside the room, and she heard them, and she came to me, and she said, Pastor, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I said, why not? And she says, well, I overheard some of the ladies, and they were saying these things about me. And I, and I remember at the time, and this is the part where I was foolish, because what I should have done, I should have said, let me take you, and let's go talk to them. 
And so warning, don't say mean things about other people because Brother Ben will come right to you and say, did you say these mean things about other people? Some of you are like, but there's this moment. There's this moment where when we come to look for Jesus, oftentimes we look to the programming, we look to the, 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 the rehearsed services, we look to, the, to the, the offerings of ministry, and all of the while we forget that those are evidence of a relationship with Jesus that doesn't replace Jesus. Finding Jesus in the midst of this means looking just for Jesus. And it means following the instructions to come directly to him. Verse 16 says, And they come with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. I mean, you talk about this scene, and this scene is so profound. I oftentimes will highlight the fact that the biblical manger is probably a piece of rock that's hewn out of stone, and and that it's a picture of Jesus lying in this rock. It's a picture of his future death, him lying in the tomb. And and there's there's a foreshadowing here that we miss because because we have constructed a, a Western culture manger, and I don't want to distract you from, from your holiday decorations, but, but the reality is, is that it's foreshadowing. They see Jesus in a biblical way. And it says, When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. Immediately, they interact with him. Immediately, they go out and they start talking to people about him. Immediately. Oftentimes when we come to a biblical Jesus, when we see him for ourselves, it was, it was all over me to talk about Jesus all of the time, so much so that people would say, oh man, here he goes, he's going to start talking about Jesus again. But one of my only regrets is I didn't come to him sooner. I remember thinking the, the, the burden of conviction that I felt because the people that I had been on a football team with and had been a part of and because I had this casual relationship with Jesus for those many years until I understood his lordship, that I told them nothing about the Jesus that I knew. And some of them not with us anymore. Some of them so soon, as soon as I had graduated high school, uh, one of the guys that had graduated the year before me was killed. And I thought to myself, I was in a huddle with that guy for three hours a day for two years. And I never once talked to him about the very thing that could change his life, but now he's gone. And I think to, to... to this magnitude of this story, these, these simple shepherds following the directions, coming and finding Jesus, and, and getting to this place that they, they make this maneuver that immediately they made widely known. First, what the angels had said concerning the child. Uh, point number three, meeting Jesus fuels our witness. You know, some of you are saying, man, I just don't know if I could talk about it. And I want to say, Really get to know him, and you'll be just talking about him all the time. You know, it's really cool when somebody gets baptized, they're making a great big bold statement to the world. They're saying, I believe in this Jesus who died for my sins, and I now follow him. Or witness his bold proclamation in the midst of a world that desperately needs the truth. Desperately needs it. It needs it in such a way that they are lost without it. And so I challenge you to look to these as an example Make widely known the saying which was told them. Verse 18 says, And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them. And there's this this piece here. 
So now they have made their declaration. They have made widely known what they have heard. You know what happens next? Those people begin to wonder about this story. Those people begin to interact with this story. And you begin to see the, the beginning of a fire that begins kindled in the flame of, of belief, personal belief that is spreading to others. Point number four is that others will be impacted by hearing our story. It's oftentimes, I, I will tell you that, that I have a unique place in the world because I get to stand on a stage and I get to share with you the gospel and I get to share with you the scriptures and I get to preach regularly. And it never ceases to amaze me that somebody will quote me and I'll say, that's weird. First of all, because if you knew me in high school, you'd say, yeah, that's weird that anybody would quote him. He was just clinging to, you know, bees by the fingernails, you know. And so the picture is that anybody would have anything to say that I said and repeat it. My hope is that I say enough about Jesus and that I talk about what's really here that you'll quote him. That you'll see these pictures and these stories and you'll quote them. Have you said enough in the world about your Savior that when people quote you, they'll talk about Jesus? I like what Michael Jr. says about this when he talks about his, his, his daughter's dating. He's a comedian, by the way, but he's a beautiful believer. He just tells these wonderful stories about his life and seeing things differently. He says, you know, when you get into a relationship, and there's some, just some advice for the very young in here, he says, you let them talk about three, four, five, six things, and if they're not bringing up Jesus, they'll bring your relationship with him down. And so your litmus test, girls and guys, is look for somebody that will talk about Jesus. There's a picture here that we don't oftentimes realize how important it is. I, I left... The university that I was studying at, I couldn't afford to be there anymore. And the dean of the school got me a job. It was at Oklahoma Baptist University, and Dean Melton at the time says, well, I know this roofing company just down the road in Seminole that's looking for people, and he, so he puts me on with Coach Roofing, and, and they put me on an airplane two days after Christmas, and I'm in an airport, and I'm waiting on guys, and, and we, we connect, and I'm, I'm with them, and I, I talk about this was pivotal for me, moments in my life, but I remember after a few days of being with these guys, that one of them were sitting at breakfast, and when you work on the road, everything you do is with these, this group of guys. You can't get away from them. And one of them is just calling me out. He's like, he goes, what's wrong with you, man? And I said, and I'm like, what? And the boss is kind of looking at me and looking at him. He goes, he's not been here as long as you has, but he looks bigger than you. You probably should leave him alone. And the guy says, no, man, there's something about you that's weird. And I said, what do you mean? And I'm just trying to keep my head down because I just believe that the nail that sticks out gets hammered. And he's like, I know what it is. I mean, the whole table is now they're glued. They want to know what is wrong with this kid. He says, you're one of those Christians. And I just smile from ear to ear. I was like, yes, I absolutely am, man. I absolutely am. And he's like, stay away from me. But there's this moment in that story where later I begin to talk to all these different guys and I get to tell them a little bit about my faith. I remember interacting with people and, and guys would say, man, why don't you, and how come you haven't, and why aren't you like these other guys? And I'm just like, I find no joy in any of that. And there's this picture here of these shepherds that are forever changed because the heavens have told them a story about the Savior who's come into the world. And they have gone and found out for themselves that it is real. And they have told others about it. 
and it changes the course of everything. All of heaven knows right where Jesus is all of the time. He's the single most important part of the story. Is he the single most important part of your story? Is he the single most important part of your life? So much so that knowing him would fuel you to talk about him and share with other people, knowing that just by the very sharing of him with your friends and family will impact them. They will either walk away from you discouraged, saying, we don't know about this man. Or they'll say, we need to know more about him. You see, I wouldn't say, you should talk about my story. I would say, you should talk about his story. And I would point them here. You know, if you don't know where to begin, and I just challenge you this, and, and I tell you that we should all be good students of the New Testament for certain, but if you don't know where to begin in your Bible reading, and right about now is the time of year when people begin to make new commitments about what they're going to do next year, if you've not read it for yourself, start with the Gospel of John. Read three chapters a day for one week, you'll be done. That's 21 chapters. Write down your questions, bring those questions to your connect group, ask your connect group leader. When they don't know, they'll have to read John. Meet this Jesus today. Know him by reading this story. Start by looking for him yourself, not believing just what everybody else has said. We're going to have an invitation in just a few moments, and I'm going to invite you to come. And I'm going to allow you to come and pray about whatever you need to pray about, but certainly about knowing this Jesus, finding him where he is. Because he comes into this world not threatening us, not challenging us to be anything but people who want to know who he is. The rest will take care of itself. Would you stand with me today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to pray for us. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, an opportunity to look to your scriptures, an opportunity to cry out to you, to ask of you, Lord, is it possible for us to meet you today? Lord, if there are people that are present here this morning that have not yet met you, that have only been listening to what others have said, I pray that they would take and be courageous in this moment to meet you, to reach out in faith and say, I will follow what the story's instructions have said to look for the Jesus of the Bible. And then when I meet him, I will tell the world about him. Lord, if we've not yet met him, I pray that we would have the courage to come and do so. But I pray furthermore for those of us that already know him, that have yet to tell a soul about him. I pray, Lord, there'd be deep conviction in our hearts to look around the room, to look around our families, to look around our lives and our communities, our neighborhoods and, and our neighbors down the road that we would say, can I tell you about my, my Savior? Can I tell you about the man who changed everything? I pray that we would be burdened to do this, that we would be convicted to not not let us go one more time to the memorial service of the funeral without having told everybody we could tell. I pray, Lord, that we would have the courage to do this. I ask, Lord, that we would respond. In Jesus' name, amen.